Hi, I'm Katrina Ingram. Welcome to Back to School Again, the show for midlife learners recorded at the Norquest College Innovation Studio. We talk with midlife learners about their educational journey, sharing their stories about how they are balancing the demands of school, work, and family, and where they hope their educational pursuits will take them. My guest today is Sergeant David Jones of the Edmonton Police Services, or EPS. He's been with EPS for 15 years and is studying applied criminology and police management at the University of Cambridge, where he plans to complete his master's soon. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Well, let's start with why you became a police officer and joined EPS. Did you always know you wanted to be a police officer or what drew you to that line of work? Well, I know some of my colleagues had this dream since they were five or six to become a police officer, and um, that wasn't that wasn't my dream. I, I don't know as though I had a specific idea, but I was raised by uh, two public servants who um, just ingrained in me the idea of contributing to society, and um, so I married that with the idea, you know, when you're late teens, early twenties of not wanting to be inside, not wanting a nine-to-five job. Uh, and really, it's, it's, uh, it's an exciting profession. It really gives you the chance to make a difference in the community and give back, especially when people are in deep moments of crisis. So that all appealed to me. Wonderful. And it is an exciting profession. Um, it also might be a bit of a misunderstood profession because most of us have these images of police that we get from the TV at shows or movies that we watch. And I bet that's probably not all that realistic. So tell us about your average day. What does that look like, an average day of a police officer? I watch those shoes, shows too. and They're pretty cool. Um, <laughs> they aren't always super accurate, though. You're right. There are really a lot of jobs. When you say police officer, there are a lot of jobs. So we have... Uh, our frontline police constables, police sergeants out on the front line uh, dealing with calls for service and that type of activity. We have people in our high response tactical unit like the SWATs, um, people in Air One, people dog unit, but then you also have investigative units where they're investigating homicides or violent crimes or sex crimes. And so the typical day really, really differs depending on where somebody's working and uh, and that's kind of the beauty of the thing is once you get once you get tired of a certain lifestyle you know the shift work and that sort of thing you can transition into something maybe more stable as you age and family work or if you want to go back to that you can and so there's it's really hard to describe what an average day would look sure. like. Sure. So, uh, sounds like there's lots of opportunities. What about you? Like tell us about your day or week. Uh, well, I am day four now of a new position with the EPS that has never existed before. It's the coordinating sergeant for something that we're calling the Resiliency Project. So it's uh, a coming together of the city of Edmonton. Uh, the police have a small hand in it and uh, a local not-for-profit. And what we're doing is we're trying to do a research-based approach uh, for both public education but also some preventative strength-based intervention for kids who might be at risk for radical extremism. So what we're looking at was looking at precursors for what might make somebody um, not just have radical ideas, because that's fine, but when it, when it morphs into either local violence or somewhere else, then that's something that we, we're trying to approach it from a way that we can prevent these activities instead of you know, enforcing laws or being punitive once it happens. And so we're trying to get upstream of 
any kind of number of events, whether it's right-wing extremism or or any other type, type of group. Right. Sounds like there might be quite a bit of a, a data analysis uh, that you might be doing in that particular role. Yeah. And so I'm doing as much reading as I can. Certainly the schooling has taught me how to how to research as best possible. The NGO that we're partnered with it has a full complement of researchers, and that's really where they come in and, and are the subject matter experts. Right. Well, you have a bachelor's degree in English literature with a minor in sociology and criminology. And it seems like those English major roots are showing up in some of your work, at least in, in your previous role. Um, and you're doing some innovative stuff in terms of using social media in policing. So tell us a bit about that. Uh, I wasn't one of the early, early adopters of our social media project, um, but I watched as they gave a really good kind of behind-the-scenes look at what policing was. And um, at the time, I was working at the Zebra Child Protection Center as a, kind of a, a sergeant who was coordinating external partners and, and the like in our child protection section. And um, I got on Twitter just to start talking about what we do in our day-to-day life, to do some some ideas for public education for kids and what parents could do to sort of bolster their their kids' safety out in the community. And uh, it's just, it's a creative avenue. You're right, I have an English degree, which, uh, you know, teaches you great big ideas about life, but doesn't really give you any specific one thing that you can do. It's not like, you know, going and becoming a medical doctor or yeah, not super anything directive. like that. It's yeah. not, it's, it gives you good general ideas, <laughs> some critical thinking skills. So uh, it the the social media part gives me, I guess, an outlet for some creativity. Absolutely. And yeah. speaking of which, with your permission, I'd like to read a poem that you wrote on Twitter that was inspired by Dr. Seuss's Oh, the Places You'll Go. Are you okay if we share that with our listeners? Sure, as long as I don't get into any copyright problems. <laughs> okay, I think we should be okay. Oh, the places you'll go. Congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to a dark cave under a walkway. You have flashlight in hand. You have safety gloves on. You can steer yourself any direction you choose, away from the needles and the bottle of booze, checking on folks who need better places to snooze. Very fun. Was there something in particular that inspired you to post that that day? There was. So uh, at the time, I was working in our downtown division as a community liaison sergeant. And uh, so my team was responsible for looking really at problem-oriented policing. So looking for the root causes of some issues, whether it's, uh, you know, street-level disorder or crime or whatever that looks like, and then trying to solve it. And so in this case, we, um, we had identified uh, a walkway and underneath of it had kind of eroded out and so that there was this cave that people had been living in. It was really quite contained, and we'd worked with the uh, the city and the building owner to shore it up. Obviously, you know, people, if they're homeless, uh, they, you know, you, you look for anywhere where you can find shelter. This was actually a quite decent place, but come winter, it would have been really quite dangerous. Nobody would have been checking on them. Nobody would have found anybody. So on that day, it was the city was um, was finally shoring up just the last little bit, and they wanted us to to go in and clear it one last time to make sure nobody was in there. Obviously, we didn't want to get anybody stuck inside. So uh, I went, and uh, I took one of our brand new, like just out of recruit class uh, constables with us. And while we were waiting, we were talking about, you know, what he did before and that sort of thing. And he had given up a 
rather lucrative career in engineering to come and live his lifelong dream as a police officer. And I thought it was ironic that then I was taking him into this little den that had needles and bottles and, you know, this is what you dreamed of. That's, you know, there's this (laughs) weird juxtaposition of what that looked like. And so I thought, you know, trying to put some perspective on what we do, but also, you know, the the last line there with um, needing a better place to snooze, it's a little bit of just trying to draw some uh, awareness to, you know, how we need to help our most disenfranchised in the city. Yeah, I love it. It adds such a, a great touch of humanity and, and also some levity as well to kind of a, a difficult situation. I do want to get into this master's degree in applied <laughs> criminology and police management. Yes. And it's with the University of Cambridge. That's in the United Kingdom. Yeah. So what attracted you to this particular degree and what do you hope to gain from it? Uh, well, one of my mentors on the job uh, just graduated this year from the same program, and he was one of the first two Canadians who were accepted into the program. And it was probably, we, we go in these blocks, and so it was in his second block that he he reached out to me and said, you know, you should think about applying for this. It's really, really interesting. And sometimes I say yes before I fully realize all of the implications to a question, <laughs> and this was one of them. <laughs> Not that I have any regrets, but uh, I jumped in and did a little bit more research about the program and we chatted as a family about it and what it might mean and I um, I put in my application and got accepted. Yeah, now this degree, um, you know, commuting to the UK, that's a long ways to go for, yeah. for anything and you're back and forth there quite a bit for this degree um, because of the work that's uh, involved that you need to do in person. So, so how exactly does that work for you in terms of being able to commute back and forth from the UK? It, uh, it isn't without some sacrifice. Uh, the, the way that the program works is three times a year for two-week blocks. We all come together as a cohort, and uh, it's really, in the first year at least, it was very, very class-intensive. Lots of lectures, lots of uh, learning that way. Um, and then coming back and having to carve out some time to do all of the reading that we needed to do and synthesize that and write the papers and, and, uh, and do all the associated work has been... Uh, been a challenge. Yeah, I bet. And so tell me a bit about who else is in this course. Um, is it people from all over the world? Are they all police officers? Who's taking this program with you? So the program is specifically designed for uh, either operating police officers or anyone working in related fields. So we have uh, researchers and educators from police colleges. Uh, we have uh, police lawyers, um, but the, the high level of, you know, a, a good degree of police leadership is in in the room. So in my cohort, there are 70 of us, and I'd say probably about 65 or 70 percent of them are from the UK. Um, There's a good uh, contingent of Danish police officers and and related fields. There are a couple of Australians who keep things light and have a lot of fun. And um, one fellow from New Zealand and I think there, there's one other Canadian on the uh, on the course this year as well. Well, well, you can probably take heart that the New Zealand and Australian folks also have a very long way to travel. Yeah, we <laughs> um, <laughs> we have these unofficial races uh, just on our on our chat group to see who makes it home first, and inevitably they're usually about three hours longer than I am in in traveling, as long as they don't have any hiccups, which have which have happened for them. Yeah, so. yeah. Now, a big part of your degree is a final thesis submission. Um, tell us a bit about that project. Yeah, yeah. 
It's a whole different thing going from an English degree where they hand you some novels and ask what you think about the themes and what you take away from it to working on a quantitative study on something very specific, needing a whole base of literature behind it. So um, especially with a couple of decades almost separating those two. So it's, it's, been, um, it's been a challenge for me as far as honing my writing, as far as honing my research capabilities. And I'd say as far as honing my statistical analysis capabilities, but I'm still working on that. So I'm not so sure how well that's going to go. We'll see. Um, my specific topic uh, is I'm taking a look at our recruit selection process for the EPS and doing a gender-based analysis. So I'm, I'm disaggregating data and then comparing the, the outcomes for uh, males and females on uh, those applicants on uh, each stage of our multi-stage uh, application or selection process. We have done a, I think, a very robust push to get uh, more women involved in policing, which I think is absolutely critical to our profession, to, you know, for women-only sessions and having specific targeted events just to recruit more women in. And I wanted to make sure that uh, what we were doing was not just having more people apply and then shutting the door through our selection process. And I don't know what the results are going to be yet. I'm not quite there, but uh, I think it's an important thing that we, we take a really hard look at that because it's never really been analyzed in this way um, locally or uh, there hasn't been a lot of research to this same effect anywhere in the world that I've that I found so far. Right. That's a really interesting uh, and relevant um, topic. I'm wondering, and I know that you're still in the very early stages of this research, but I'm wondering if it's going to perhaps unearth some barriers that uh, might be there and, and if you can then address those, or perhaps that is the goal of, of the research. Uh, it is the goal, and certainly our leadership is quite interested in what it looks like. I mean, one of the things that that we're going to face as a challenge organizationally is our recruit selection process. I call it ours, but it's it's quite heavily mandated by the provincial government. So everybody is mostly consistent around the province. So what we could do, having done my research, is if somebody in Calgary was able to take on that same research, take a look about whether they get the same results or not with essentially the exact same selection process, it, it would give us cause to go back to the government and say, there are some issues here and it needs to be fixed. I know that's what's going on in Ontario right now. Right. And uh, our selection process is, is fairly similar. So yeah. it'll be interesting to watch what happens there. Yeah, it will be interesting to see what comes of that. Um, so the Edmonton Police Services, I'm guessing that they're supporting you a lot in your educational journey because your master's is so relevant to the work that you're doing. And there's going to be a lot of application in terms of your degree to to uh, what the Edmonton Police Services is doing. So how are they supporting you? What does that support look like from your workplace? Certainly, they're, um, my direct supervisors have given me a lot of leeway to, um, you know, if I need some time off to, to write or whatever that looks like, then uh, they haven't denied me that. Um, there's been some some financial support as far as the travel is concerned. And uh, and some and some time uh, some time off support as well. So uh, it's a it's it's a hard thing for them to balance. Obviously, if everybody asked for this, uh, it would be uh, it, it it wouldn't be sustainable for the organization. So I appreciate that, and uh, and it hasn't been without personal sacrifice, time, and financial, and all of that as well. Yeah. Um, but I think in the long run, hopefully it uh, it pays off, and hopefully I can bring something back to the organization. 
Well, let's talk about some of that personal sacrifice that you mentioned. So in addition to a busy job and doing an overseas master's program, you're also married with a family of four young kids. And I'm curious to know, like, how do you balance all of that? What does your work-life balance look like? It's not always great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We stay very busy, obviously, for kids and keeping them in some sort of after-school programs or sports or that kind of thing. Um, We do our best not to over-program them anyways. But I I think the only way that I could have possibly taken this on was just having a really strong partnership with my spouse. And uh, and that's been a a critical piece for this because... Obviously, six weeks out of the year, I'm gone physically, and more than that, just in trying to carve out the time to do my reading and writing. So uh, it, it, uh, it has been a complete team effort. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's, how we, that's how we approach the rest of our lives. So this fit in, but uh, it, it, uh, it was with lots of conversation and consideration that we uh, that we embarked in this process. So. Yeah, you know, that's something that's come up a lot uh, with various guests on the podcast, just the fact that it is a real family commitment. It's not just about the individual, it's about really the family getting behind uh, the education process and how it really does take a team effort. Yeah, I'm wondering if there is any specific time management strategies or tips that you have in terms of balancing work, school and family. Oh, man. I mean, I I think um, you have to be prepared to make some sacrifices. Uh, Certainly, we collectively and me specifically haven't seen friends nearly as much as I would like to. Um, You know, we've tried to have it not affect the kids as much as possible. So, you know, if that means me coming home from work and spending a few hours with family and then doing uh, work after that, it's uh, there's been some, probably more than some, but uh, nights where I don't get quite enough sleep just because I'm doing homework until later than I should be and then getting up again in the morning to go to work. So uh, that's been, uh, I think there, ultimately you have to be flexible with your time and realize that for a short term there's going to be some things that, that in your normal routine that fall off the table. Yeah. Yeah, I completely understand the uh, the sleep deprivation piece. But you know what inspires me about you, David, is somehow amidst all that, you still find time to volunteer. And I know that there are a few causes that are important to you. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that area of your life? Yeah, I, I believe in volunteering. So does uh, my wife. And uh, we've got the kids involved too. So it's a bit of a family business, just at different levels. And uh, I currently sit on the board of directors for Kids Sport Edmonton, which is uh, an organization that helps uh, kids who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford getting into organized sports, um, helps them uh, with registration fees. And then I still uh, sit on, I mentioned the Zebra Child Protection Center earlier, which is a not-for-profit that houses our, our child protection section. And so since I've worked there, I've been on their communications committee, um, which is, uh, you know, it's a cause that's fairly close to my heart, having worked there for, for seven years. And where there is time, I will do some ad hoc uh, volunteering as well. But certainly those two are, are my primary focus right now. Well, it's amazing that you're able to give back and, and bring your whole family into that effort as well. That's wonderful. Now, you're just about to enter your fourth decade. 
And uh, this being a podcast about going back to school in midlife, I want to ask you how this experience of being a student has been different from the degree that you did way back in your 20s. <laughs> um, just in terms of your own approach to learning, um, what's easier, what's harder, what's different? Well, I think uh, right off the bat, the time management is a lot harder. You know, if it was uh, trying to figure out where to schedule my seven or eight hours of being a stock boy at Andy's Valley View IGA while going through university, um, that's a lot easier to manage than everything that we've already talked about. And so I think making sure that I that I specifically have time to study instead of just having lots of time on my hands and choosing to. So it's uh, it's it's been, I think I'm approaching it with much more maturity, obviously, um, with less hair. Uh, I know you can't see me if you're listening to this, but I'm bald. And uh, it, it it's much more, I don't want to say serious, but rigorous of, uh, of a process. Obviously, uh, from a bachelor's to a master's, there's some, uh, there's some, additional educational rigor of involved, but uh, just the subject matter and the, the very research evidence-based heavy approach to criminology that they, that they are um, teaching us is, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not reading some of the wonderful novels that I got to read. Uh, you know, one of the classes that I had at the U of A uh, in my last year of, of English was The Blues as a Lyric Poem. It's fantastic. I loved that class. It's probably my favorite one. There's nothing like that in, in this. It's much it's much more specific to kind of a science-based approach to it. So. Right. You've got some pretty heavy material that you're yeah. making your way through. And this program itself, it's, it's not a short program. This is 22 months long, and we've mentioned that you've been back and forth to the UK several times each year. Um, and you're doing online work as well and research in between. So are there specific things that you are doing to sustain yourself, both physically and emotionally, during this journey? I think uh, with the time management, we're making sure that we also carve specific time to have time as a family, to have some fun times. Um, some of that may be procrastination, but let's call it something different and uh, and say that it's, you know, for, for work-life balance. So I, I think that plays a big role is just being very conscious of the toll this can take, not just on me, but also on the rest of the family and making sure that we uh, that we do something to, to counteract some of those negative effects. Absolutely. It's so important to have fun while you're while you're going through such yeah. a, a long process. Were there any moments of doubt about going back to school? I'm um, just wondering, is this the right decision? Well, like I said, sometimes I jump into things saying yes and then start realizing what the ramifications are. So I think uh, there was a certain uh, novelty to going back to school. Uh, I appreciate, I mentioned that um, my parents were, were um, public servants. They were both educators. And so there's a certain degree of importance to education that has always been instilled in me. And... For that aspect, I thought, yeah, this is the this is the perfect thing to do. It's going to push me in uh, my career and and uh, my understanding of what our profession could be. Uh, I think the the moments of doubt probably came later after a, a couple of trips back and forth and thinking, wow, this is really a lot of something. And um, and then especially this year, getting into the the thesis year and the research and all of that's taken. As uh, there have been lots of moments where I've said. I, 
I, A, I don't know if I can keep going, but also I don't know if the, hopefully this is all worth it, right? You've got to have some, there's some reflection in there that, you know, you're hoping that you've made the right choice. Yeah, and it sounds like you're coming up towards the, the tail end of this process. So you're, you're almost there, David. Hang in there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk a bit about the good things, um, the positive things about this whole experience. What's been the most positive thing for you about all of this? You know, the, the travel and the novelty and the quality of education that I'm getting there aside, um, there's this fantastic opportunity to network way beyond anything that I would ever be able to do here. So, you know, like I mentioned, there are police officers from all over the world. Uh, most of them are more experienced than I am. They've had longer in the job. And so th there are these amazing moments where, I mean, after classes are over, there's really nothing to do. We're all sort of sequestered. It's kind of like this weird going to summer camp, but for adults. And so, you know, we're hanging out, we're enjoying the local culture, uh, and naturally uh, our conversations go back to work. But it's about, uh, you know, we have those conversations about, you know, at home we're really struggling with this subject. What are you all doing about that? And and being to hear, be, being able to hear what you know, New Zealand is doing about domestic violence or the UK is doing about traffic safety or all of those things. I mean, it has been really, really uh, instrumental in, in just that, that bigger network or that bigger understanding of some of our problems are all the same and, and just people are taking a different approach to, to solving them. I really relate to what you're saying about uh, finding your tribe and building a, a community with your fellow learners. I, I'm finding that uh, in my journey as well. Now, is there any advice that you have for our listeners who might be thinking about starting their own journeys back to the classroom? Make sure that it's something that, whatever your life looks like, that you have a, a good support system in, in whatever way it looks like that it's sustainable for you, but not to think about it too much, right? Just like I'm saying, I, I say yes, I jump in, and then I figure out how to swim. I would suggest that, that that's something you need to do. You never know when it's the right moment. You just have to jump in. If this is something that you're thinking about, that you think you can make it work, just do it. You'll make it. You'll you'll find a way. That's great. And just before we wrap up, David, is there any other uh, things that you want to share about this experience so far? Any final thoughts? Well, for anybody who knows uh, the UK and especially in Cambridge, uh, punting is a a um, a local pastime or a local way of getting around. So that these weird flat bottom boats that people go and have picnics on and drink champagne and all this fancy stuff. We decided that we didn't need the punter that comes with it, the, the, um, the person who pushes this thing along with a long stick on the bottom of the ground, essentially. Uh, all I can share is that one of the most important learnings from this entire thing is punting is extremely difficult and way harder than it ever looks. So <laughs> you should try it sometime if you ever get the opportunity. It sounds like I must try that. David, thank you so much uh, for being here today and for sharing your story with our listeners. It's been a real treat. Thanks for having you. me. Good luck, everybody, with your studies. Ever dream of being a modern-day hero? Of saving lives and making a difference? Norquest College offers a wide range of fire and safety programming, from entry-level courses for those looking to start a career in firefighting to advanced courses for firefighting professionals moving forward in their careers. 
All training is held to National Fire Protection Association standards and is eligible for internationally recognized certification through the Alberta Office of the Fire Commissioner. Start your hero's journey. Visit norquest.ca forward slash fire. Now back to our show. If you follow David Jones on Twitter, and if you don't already, I highly recommend you do, you will see how busy this guy is doing community work, police work, and managing the demands of being a husband and father to four kids in addition to his schoolwork. By his own admission, he's had to cut back on his sleep to keep it all going, but somehow he does it. It's a real inspiration. Taking a program somewhere other than where you live, especially overseas, I imagine that would be a lot of fun on one level. The change of scenery, being in a new place, being away from home, and being able to fully immerse yourself in the program. I see the benefits of all of this. But on the other hand, it's a lot of time away from home. And when you have a young family, that can be really challenging. David talks about the importance of his family making a commitment to his educational journey. And that's something that other guests have emphasized as well. How going back to school in midlife is a family affair. And that you need to be prepared as a family to make it work. I also love how David shared the importance of making time to have fun as a family by volunteering together for one of the many great causes he supports or just building in time to do family stuff. It's a super important tip for maintaining balance while undertaking the long and rigorous academic journey. On the topic of academic rigor, listening to David talk about his research project for his thesis, I started to panic just a little about my own upcoming research. My biggest issue is that I'm not sure what to focus on. Not because I can't think of an area of interest, but because I have too many areas of interest. In my work life, I've always been a generalist, not a specialist. And I can be excited about a lot of different things, but it doesn't always last. I have a bit of professional ADD. And in locking down on one thing, something I'll need to commit to for months on end, I wanna make sure it's something that holds my attention, something I can stay excited about. Also, like David, I want to make a practical contribution. David's research has the potential to really make an impact on police forces in Alberta and their recruitment process to enable more women to join the force. That's incredibly cool, to see your research have such an important real-world application. I have some time before I need to land on my topic, but speaking with David reminded me that I do need to focus at some point. That's our show today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like the show, please give us a rating. It helps other people connect to us. You can reach me at backtoschoolagain.ca or at schoolagainpod on all the usual social channels. I'd love to hear your story. Back to School Again was recorded at the Norquest College Innovation Studio, located on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional homeland of First Nations and Métis peoples. A huge thanks to our sponsor, Norquest College, for supporting the show and to our talented technical producer, Corey Stroder. Back to School Again is proud to be affiliated with the Alberta Podcast Network. Find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. See you next time.